Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should we think outside the box for our next chief executive? And, you know, this is a, uh, I think in some respects, a hot topic. I think more companies are are thinking outside the box in terms of retaining their next chief executive because industries are finding that their markets have are changing so rapidly. And this is even before we get into a coronavirus discussion, which is you know, has, has basically just yanked the tablecloth and, and everything sort of come crashing down wherever it's going to come down. Um, but, but, you know, we're, 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 we're seeing this before and, and, and you know, it's an interesting conversation. If you look at, if you look at Ford, right, they, they, uh, they got rid of Mark Fields, who was there, you know, he was a lifer inside the company and, you know, all he knew was making cars. And I don't mean to trivialize that, trivialize that knowing, Knowing how to make cars is hard. Just ask Elon Musk, uh, especially doing it at scale. But um, they replaced him with a software guy from a woman, actually, from Silicon Valley. And because they have decided that the future of driving is is in autonomous vehicles. Um, General Motors has done something similar because they are making a pretty all-in bet on electrification. Um. Now, sometimes it doesn't necessarily go as as well. You, we may those of us who are old enough may remember when uh, Steve Jobs was forced out of Apple in the late 1980s. Um, they hired a a Pepsi executive to replace him, and they brought out products such as the Apple Newton. And if you've never heard of it, um, there's probably a reason for that. But basically, that was sort of the Neanderthal iPad. And it was ten years. It was ten years too early before the the supporting technology was really ready to to support that kind of device. So it doesn't necessarily all work out, but it is an interesting and a courageous decision. And and I think you know, in particular, as you know, we're in an interesting time where where uh, demographics are dictating turnover. And in my world where I live, and I do a lot of transaction advisory, we tend to think that that, that is going to lead to change in ownership, where people are going to be selling their companies because uh, they feel like they're too old to run them. Interestingly enough, we've, we've thought that for the last 10 years. We thought there was going to be a massive turnover of companies. And, and that actually really hasn't happened the way that we thought it was going to be, because it, it turns out that you know, a lot of people still have their marbles at age 70 and can run their company. And there's also a lot of data to suggest that the least healthy thing you can do is retire. 
Um, but that'll be a subject maybe for another podcast. Um, but then it also brings it brings to mind another issue, which is at the forefront even of Brady Ware, which is succession. That you know ownership is is you know is necessarily going to turn over at some point. And in professional services, one of the big tests of staying power and frankly whether the, the firm has value is whether or not you're able to have a successful transition of power basically and still retain and still retain the things about the firm that that make it useful and valuable today while still positioning itself for for the new challenges and opportunities that exist for that firm at the time that the succession is taking place and so you know, this is for, for those reasons. I think this is an interesting topic. I think it will resonate with a lot of people, whether you're, whether in that succession plan yourself, whether you are maybe subject to that succession plan, or maybe you th- you're thinking that's five to 10 years away. And if there's anything I've learned about succession, I- I'm not sure it's ever too early to start thinking about it. Certainly 10 years is not too early because as Yogi Bear is famous for saying, it, uh, it gets late early. So joining us today are Mark Fleischman and uh, Eric Myshak, who are the current and future CEOs of Beachman of Beach Fleischman PC out in Arizona. So kind of an interesting, we're going to get a really interesting kind of perspective here of, uh, of, of current, uh, of the full spectrum of transition, if you will. Uh, Mark Fleischman is a founding shareholder and current CEO of Beach Fleischman PC, an accounting and consulting firm with offices in Tucson and Phoenix, Arizona, founded in 1990. The firm has approximately 200 office and remote employees. Mark is retiring at the end of 2021 this year and is currently mentoring his replacement to share knowledge and experience. And that replacement is uh, Eric Myshak, who is a shareholder and chief strategy officer, chief strategy officer of Beach Fleischman. He is also the firm's appointed CEO elect and will assume, assume that role at the start of 2022. He joined Beach Fleischman in 2012 and is responsible for the firm's overall strategic growth initiatives, including innovation, service line development, mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, institutional firm branding, market alignment, and community community outreach. Beach Fleischman PC is Arizona's largest locally owned CPA firm and a top 200 largest CPA firm in the United States. The firm has over 200 client service and administrative professionals and provides accounting, assurance, tax, and strategic operations and advisory services to business, U.S. and foreign-based organizations and individuals. The firm serves clients doing business domestically and internationally and specializes in a variety of industry-related practice areas, including cannabis, construction, healthcare, real estate, manufacturing, hospitality, technology, nonprofit, and professional service businesses. Beach Fleischman has subsidiaries, including Pinnacle Plan Design LLC, a national provider of qualified retirement plan consulting, design administration, and actuarial services, Mod Ventures LLC, a virtual client accounting services and consulting firm, and Contempo HCM LLC, a payroll and human capital management company. Offices are in Tucson and Phoenix. Mark and Eric, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. So, um, lots of lots of uh, ground we can cover today, and uh, although we we have a we have a general direction where we're going to go, we'll see if it stays that way. But but the 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 thing that I think is is going to be helpful for the the listener and myself to understand the context is what are the circumstances leading 
to this 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 transition mark since you since you're the one who's currently in the seat and you're leaving uh, i'll ask you to kind of answer that first you know what what's happening that's leading to this uh this change uh happy to um under our um, governance policy at age 67, which I'll be um, this coming December, um, I need to sell my shares back. So I will no longer be a shareholder in the corporation. Um, as a result, we deemed it not appropriate for me to remain as CEO. And quite honestly, you mentioned earlier about retirement maybe not being good. I'm going to find out how good it is or how good it isn't. Um, and plan on uh, maybe staying on as an advisor to the firm and helping where they need it, if they need it, but basically getting out of the way and um, and allowing Eric and the team to uh, lead into the future. So I'd like to I'd like to pause on that for a moment because one sixty seven is is interesting to me because that's a little older than I normally see accounting firms have. At Brady, where it's sixty five. Other places I've worked at sixty five. Um, but can you? Can you answer for me, and, and Eric might be able to chime in too, why do a lot of professional services firms have a mandatory retirement age? I, I think it relates primarily to succession and the ability to allow, um, number one, um, the relationships that have been fostered for a number of years, we have to transfer those relationships to new people, younger people. Otherwise, the client will no longer have a, um, a service provider that they feel comfortable working with. So it's necessary to start early. Um, you talked about succession, maybe um, 10 years is, is, is long enough or not long enough. Uh, basically, here we believe in, in continuous succession, whereby we are constantly attempting to, I'm going to use the term, push down client relationships, transferring them to um to younger people, giving them an opportunity so that there is a continuing, uh, continuing success of the firm going forward. I would add, Mark just addressed the client side of things, which is very relevant on the talent side of things and on the internal side. It creates more space for future leaders to step up. And it's, it's a great way to retain top talent is to have that succession plan in place so that others can step up and lead a practice, lead a division, uh, become a future leader. And that's always been part of our culture here. So um, both on the client side and on the internal talent side, both very important. So so uh, I'd like to go back in time then to the point at which you decided, you got to the point where you arrived at the point where you needed to name that successor. Um, how long ago was that? Was that six months ago, a year ago, two years ago? How long is that transition practice been in place? Uh, we, we started the, the process back in July of 2019. So we're talking over a year and a half ago. Okay. And then how long has it been known that Eric is going to be the next, uh, next person up? Well, we made the announcement um, internally uh, this November, but actually uh, the selection was a full year before that. Um, okay. And the shareholders and the committee that selected him knew of it, but everybody else did not. Okay. So uh, it sounds like that's going to be 2020 or even maybe even 2019 BC before coronavirus. And um, uh, think back to that time when you were deciding who was the right person to, to take on this role and this challenge. Talk to me about, about how you viewed your own firm. Um, I, I'd love to hear about when you took inventory of its strengths and weaknesses 
Um, what, what did those kind of look like to you? Well, from my standpoint, I, I think we were a successful firm having been founded in 1990. Um, we had a one long-term CEO that, that served that position um, almost uh, 25 years. And, um, and then I replaced him naturally. I mean, his name was Beach. My name is Fleischman. It was a natural, um, for me to take over after that. And I, I guess I would say that, um, having been involved with, uh, with my partner and my good friend since uh, I got out of college, um, many, many, many years ago, uh, I was, uh, Avis to his hurts and I was always, uh, practicing to be called, to become number one. Um, so, in 2019, we were still um, in a growth mode as we are today. Um, we were considering rolling out new opportunities, um, new service lines, and um, and realized that it would probably would make sense to uh, spend a fair amount of time um, with regards to being able to mentor our new CEO uh, in that role, uh, because um, Mr. Beach and myself had been really co drivers of this practice for a number of years uh, as far as um, running it. And, um, and no one else had really had too much opportunity to, uh, to fulfill those duties. And so it was going to take a long time uh, to transition, regardless of whether it was a practice partner or a non-practice partner. And so it sounds like this is the first time that a non-practice partner is going, really somebody not named Beach or Fleischman is going to be in that seat. Exactly right. Nope, so, no pressure, no pressure, right, Mike? Well, and that's what I want to ask you about. You know, does does that change your calculus about how you approach the job? Did it give you any pause in taking the job, right? Because, you know, as I say in coaching, you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows the guy. Um, you know, did that, did that give you any pause? You know, only from, to the extent that both Bruce and Mark um, are loved within the firm, um, significant shoes to fill. So, you know, the bar was set very high. Um, and that's never, you know, necessarily a a position you want to walk into where the bar is so high already to begin with. Right. But I have to say, I, I think it's a blessing because they have created a firm and a culture that's committed to growth, that's committed to clients committed to our own people internally. And I can't think of a better circumstance to step into this role than what we have here. And, you know, during the time when we were going through the uh, search process and the transition process back in uh, the second half of 2019, there was significant change happening here. I mean, we had launched two of our new ventures, two brand new subsidiaries, so two new companies. Um, we are going through a... Um, a lot of transformation on the technology side. Um, we're shifting our business model uh, away from the hourly billing model. Um, we're entering new markets. So there was just so much change happening. Uh, and with change comes opportunity, of course. Um, so that was kind of the environment that um, that we were looking at. And you know, by something. the way, yeah. We're, we're no different than any, any other firm. Other firms are, are grappling with the same issues of innovation and disruption and, and, and that. So um, I just feel we're in a really good spot to, to navigate through this. Well, we certainly are. But what, what's interesting in how you describe the state of the firm, if you will, as the, the succession decision was taking place, 
everything you described to me was a business issue that could impact any business, whether it was in accounting or whether it was in manufacturing paper clips. I agree. And, and I wonder, I wonder, and I suspect that that's one of the reasons that, that made bringing somebody in who's not a practitioner uh, of, a, of accountancy or one of the, the specific services as a viable, maybe even an optimal fit because you weren't trying to figure out how to get tax returns out more efficiently or figure out how to manage audit risk or whether you're going to take on public company audits or something. It was much more kind of, I don't, I hate to say garden variety, but really garden variety business stuff. Yeah. And, and in my case, the way, and maybe the, the committee and Mark thought about this, but the firm is my only client. I get to work on the business a hundred percent of my time um, because I don't have a client a client list. I'm not serving, you know, clients externally. Um, I get to work on the business. And I think because of the fast pace of change, um, that's a good spot to be in where I can dedicate all of my time on anticipating change, anticipating our needs and not being reactive. I, I think, I suspect, and I'd love you to comment. I think there are a lot of positives about that. You know, one, you're not distracted by a book of business. Two, you don't have to worry about trying to regain that book of business if you if you then leave that role but want to stay in the firm, um, as as can happen with CEOs. And you know, something I I talk about philosophically, and it doesn't always meet with a lot of receptivity. You know, I think partners should have the fewest billable hours in, in the firm anyway. You know, if you're gonna because you need that time to work on the business and you're set up in a way. It's like, look, I, I, I can't fill out some of these tax returns anyway. So I may as well go work and make the, the, the firm more valuable. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And, and Mark can maybe comment on, on the conversations that were happening internally at that time um, about just that, about wanting to have that person ultra focused on the business of the firm and where the, where the accounting professional is headed and what we need to do, the decisions today that we have to make that are going to align with the, the future Peach Fleischman and what that looks like. It was kind of interesting the way we went about it. I mean, we created a committee um, of about eight shareholders from different disciplines, um, all of whom had decided that they didn't want to put their name in the hat. We then um, asked for uh, people to put their name in the hat. Um, we had them go ahead and um, write us a little narrative about why they felt they were qualified. Uh, we went ahead and did uh, some psychological testing uh, to see how they matched up with the um, myself and, and Mr. Beach, uh, what their strengths and weaknesses might have looked like in comparison to ours. Um, we went ahead and then had an interview process with each one of them. And, um, and from my standpoint, it wasn't even a question as to who was the most qualified and why. Um, er- Eric shined compared to my other partners who I love very much and, I, and, and, and they are my partners. So I am married to them from a financial sense. But I, I realized that, that Eric's background and what he does every day made him um, uniquely qualified to take the position, number one. And number two, from the CPA uh, firm standpoint, it wasn't going to be we have to transition a million or $2 million book of business to somebody else 
uh, to handle so that the next CEO would be able to have few billable hours and focus on running the business. So in, in those, in those internal discussions with that, with that committee, was there any, was there expressed any concern that, you know, but Eric's not a, not a practitioner, you know, was there any concern? Oh yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, we as CPAs know, we know everything and we know it best. Right. And, you know, we, we work, we work on our clients. We know how to do it better than anybody else. Um, how could somebody who doesn't do that understand what we do? Um, but Eric's been in the CPA profession, just not working on multitude of clients, but one client, um, whether it's with us or his predecessor firm, um, his whole accounting firm career. So, um, you know, he does understand what we do. Um, we've developed a process here over the last, what will be uh, over two years of him learning more about what his partners do on a day-to-day basis, um, providing excellent quality service to um, clients and being involved uh, with the community and also training um, the new leaders of the firm that are going to come up behind him and everybody else. So if, if I understood you correctly, it sounds like you considered exclusively candidates that were already in the Beach Fleischman house. That's, that is correct. We, we preferred to do that because we believe we have a culture um, that we want to be able to be easily sustained and, and built on and um, feeling that if we brought an outsider in, we just don't know what the ramifications might be. They could be great, but they could also be destructive. And to the extent we could find a qualified individual um, that's already living under our roof, uh, we were very happy with that possibility, that being the decision. And, and, and I think that's an important point because, you know, how far you go in terms of bringing in a quote unquote outsider and, and Eric is kind of a tweener, he's sort of an inside outsider or an outside inner. I'm not sure which way I'd go with that, but, but, you know, as I mentioned a couple of examples in the intro, there are some firms that just decide they've got to go really outside. Uh, and I think what's driving that is because they feel like there's some massive trend that they, you know, upon which they must capitalize or there's some massive existential threat that just cannot be handled with the internal firm culture. You know, with you, it seems like you, you prized quite a bit of, of continuity. And I want to be clear that does it, some people may hear that and think that means complacent. I don't think that's what it means. It means exactly what it means, which is that is that cultures the continuity of culture is important. Well, I think that it, that honestly, um, for success in um, in a business like ours, culture is key. And if you disrupt it, you um, you create earthquakes that um, you don't know what what buildings you may have built that are going to fall because of um, of disrupting your culture. So uh, I'd like both of you to kind of uh, to, to, to answer this next question, if you can, because I think you both have different perspectives on the same, on the same thing. And that is, as, as Mark, the firm was considering Eric for this, this role, and as Eric was considering taking it, was there a particular skill set or area of expertise that, that, Eric, you did have that made you sort of the right person for this role at this time? Uh, well, I'll go first, um, and I may, he may echo what I say, but, um, you know, marketing is key. Um, 
We, we, can't, we cannot live on our laurels. We have to be able to grow. And as a growth leader and a strategy leader, he had the, um, the natural um, areas that we were looking at um, to be able to move the firm forward as we go into the, the unknown uh, abyss of what, what the world's going to look like going forward, right? Um, yep. With all the tran- transition and, and the fast growth that's taking place um, in our particular world here of, of the accounting firms, it's necessary to be able to, to look, uh, be a forward thinker. And, and look towards uh, what the future can bring before the future uh, brings it to you. And so I think he had this natural perspective being in the marketing area to be able to, to have those uh, skills and traits and, um, and be able to exhibit it and, and lead the firm forward. Yeah, and I have a, a broad definition of marketing, which is perhaps even textbook, but there are four Ps to the marketing mix. And so it's not just about promotion and advertising and social media and lead generation, but there's also product and service development, there's pricing and business model. There is placement or place, which is about distribution channels and how you deliver that service. And those are really, I've been working on all four P's of the marketing mix for my career. So I think maybe some firms consider marketing just that fourth P of promotion. So, you know, and along with that comes, you know, competitive pressures. You're looking at disruption. You're looking at trends in technology. I've, I've done my best to um, stay in tune with where the profession is headed and what the risks are, and 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 articulate that to to the folks in my firm. So um, I think that's what I brought to the table because. Everybody in our profession is talking about how firms now need to diversify, how we need to get away from compliance, how we need to be consultants, how we need to be um, launching new practices and service lines and industry groups. Um, And that's stuff that I do every day working with my colleagues here. And so I have a level of of comfort dealing with discomfort, um, which I think is something that future leaders are going to have to get used to is being uncomfortable uh, a good amount of the time. So that, that's, that's a, a very interesting word and a word with a lot of depth to it. So I'd like to follow that up then with this question is that because you were, you, I mean, you were deliberately, is, do you agree with me? It, it's, you know, you are accepting a place that is not necessarily all that comfortable. Um, there's some comfort level. I get it. You have a history of the firm. You understand the firm, obviously of the, you have the blessing of the leadership, but it's it's not the same thing as say a lateral move to take another another role that's like yours, maybe with say a bigger company, right? Is that that fair to say? Yeah, I would say I would say that's that's fair for sure. So so how did you how did you get comfortable as, as you know a candidate, as someone who's obviously a responsible steward of your own career, that that this was that this was the right move, and in doing so, and I don't want to be specific. Um, you know, I wouldn't be that prying. It's not necessary to be be that specific, but I'm curious. Did you did that lead you to think about your terms of employment in a different way than you might have thought uh, about your terms of employment if had the move been more, you know, within the, the typical comfort zone. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I'll address the earlier portion of, of your comment about being un uncomfortable. Um, I don't know that even at this stage that I'm comfortable with the idea of being CEO, but I, I know it needs to happen. I know that the firm is going to be going through change that's going to make a lot of pe people uncomfortable. I just feel it's a job to do. I already felt the burden of, of a lot of these issues we're talking about, about sustainability, about growth. So it just seemed to be a natural transition uh, for me to go from chief marketing and strategy officer to chief executive officer. In terms of, you know, is it the right move for my career? Um, you know, um, I feel like, you know, with a solid team in place, great people around me, a common vision, it's going to make it that easier. Um, in terms of the, you know, having a special kind of agreement in, in your employment arrangement, I think that's probably more relevant to, like we mentioned before, when you have an accountant or a partner that has a book of business with clients and they have to trans transition those clients away. I don't have that. But what I do have, and I think there's a general understanding, is I am still going to be directing the strategic growth and marketing initiatives of the firm, e even as CEO. So that is essentially my fallback, um, where, where a lot of accountants would have, you know, some limited client work. I'm still going to be working on, on guiding the firm where we need to be in the future, launching new growth initiatives, you know, institutional branding, that, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, there's, I just gave you a lot to, to ponder there, but those are the things that kind of go through my head. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's good. I mean, that's, that's exactly the kind of, the kind of information we try to get on this podcast. So I appreciate you giving us a lot. And, it's, and it's, I asked you a really hard question. So, um, it's, it's fair that the answer is hard too. So, You've been in this role now for this transitional role, I'm guessing for about 18 months, give or take. Um, uh, so you know, in, in that role, how have you found, how have you found sort of the practical on the ground reception? Have people been wary? Have they been welcoming? Have there been areas of even obvious resistance? What, what has that looked like? What have you, what have you picked up either from, from direct cues or even informal, you know, body language, non-physical cues. How, how's that going? I, I mean, I feel I've been welcomed into the role. I, I certainly feel supported and I am being supported. Um, I think there's certainly no shortage of ideas and opinions, which I get a lot of those coming my way nowadays, maybe even more so than I did in my chief marketing and, and strategy role. Um, and it's good, you know, because it's all it's all the things that we it's all the things we need to be thinking about. Having a holistic approach to governing the firm, um, you know, there's a lot of folks commenting about how things aren't so linear anymore, and that competition and is coming from all different angles. So, you know, almost like an asymmetrical kind of approach to to governing a firm. And I think that's that's in our, our dialogue. We're talking about it a lot. Um, it's in the language that we use. So in that sense, I, I feel that 
the firm is identifying and my colleagues are identifying with the issues at stake, which makes me feel pretty good. I don't feel, um, I don't feel isolated in that sense. I, I do feel like we're, we're on the same page. Now, we may disagree with how to get there, but I think all in all, we have the same common vision. We have the same understanding of the issues at stake. And I think that's important. So how are you two working together now, Eric, Eric and Mark? I mean, is, is, it a, is it a de facto? I can see a lot of ways it's working. Does it look, is it a de facto dual CEO role right now until the end of 2021? Is it still more of a master apprentice kind of relationship? Something else that doesn't come to mind that would be described differently. What does that look like between the two of you right now? I would describe it as a mentor-mentee relationship. Okay. Um, where um, I'm available to Eric uh, 24-7, seven days a week, whenever he wants to reach out, whatever he wants to talk about, I'm there. I try to include him in, in meetings um, where I think this is something maybe he hasn't been exposed to, whether it's dealing with insurance issues, banking issues, um, dealing with uh uh, setting setting goals for partners. We had our goal setting session um, or, um, last month, and he sat in all of the goal setting sessions that I would typically um, sit through with the partners and the um, whether it's the tax pit, uh, partner in charge or the uh, ANA partner in charge also sitting in there. So um, he's he's involved in everything I do, um, other than the little bit of client work that I do, which no one wants to be involved in because it's divorce work. Um, so you got to be crazy to do what I do. Um, and another reason that 67 is a good time to retire because 65 probably would have been good too, uh, to get out of that type of work. But, um, in, in any case, I think that it is more mentor mentee than anything else. I, I still, um, I, I still sign the important stuff as necessary for the firm. Um, but I think, um, everybody is accepting that Eric is in his, um, um, master's degree program and soon um, he'll go through a quick doctorate and then he'll be ready to take on the world. Yeah. And, and there, there is some structure behind that arrangement. And by the way, that's a, that's a great place to be when, and, and Mark literally, literally does have an open door policy. And I, I knock on his door several times a day to go in there and, and ask him his perspective on something or ask him a question or just to do an update. But, uh, you know, we've had for a while now a standing recurring meeting where we meet on a regular basis. I did take the opportunity to kind of map out what I thought the transition should look like. Mark gave me his feedback on that. I attend an external um, managing partner CEO boot camp that I'm in right now. I am also making an effort to talk to CEOs and managing partners of other accounting firms and other businesses that are not related to accounting um, and just having a sounding board, a network of support and people that I can, that I can count on. And so it's all, it's all of that. Um, and it's, it's been great. Um, I, I couldn't be happier with, with that process. Eric, I think what you just said is interesting. And, and for it's worth for me, I, I think it's really smart. The fact you're going outside and, and looking for different perspectives, both within the industry and, and outside. What is the most frequent question you find yourself asking? Or if that doesn't jump to mind, what's the most frequent piece of advice you hear you're, you're hearing? 
Boy, that is a that is a good question. Um, you know, a lot of people are commenting, and I agree with this, that you know you really have to govern with a shared set of value, core values and beliefs. So mission, vision, values. Um, and I, I strongly believe in that. So using those elements as the core tenets of, of who we are, the purpose of our firm, which will help us and help me make decisions in the future. There's a fork in the road and you know we're not sure which way to go. I think part of that is going to be my gut. And part of that is going to be, you know, understanding what we're all setting out to accomplish and then choosing the path that gets us there. Um, but that top-down approach, the tone from the top is very important. So I've been hearing a lot, a lot about that. Um, I've also been getting some advice just about taking care of myself, making sure that I stay healthy, that I exercise, that I can have moments to, you know, clear my mind and to think and to do that kind of thing. So, I, you know, I, I'll have to work a little bit harder about, you know, with that. Um, and so, and there's, you know, there's a few other, few other things in there. Uh, but those were, I would say, those are the main bits of advice that I've been receiving. So, so far, you're 18 months into this journey, and uh, give or take, you got about 10 and a half months left in the transitional part of the journey. What have both of you learned along the way that might be good advice to our listeners who may be thinking about this, a similar model to their executive succession? Well, I would say to, um, to the CEOs out there that are going to be transitioning out, um, don't be afraid of what the future is going to bring embrace it and um, and be open to the ideas of um, of your successor because their ideas are extremely important to, to even your your final education in your role um, there's nothing better um, from my standpoint to be able to say um, when I leave here I have no fear of the success of this, this organization because I've, I, I've done everything I can um, and, and, and look forward to the next steps of whatever that brings for me. Um, as far as Eric is concerned, um, I think uh, we may, what I've learned so far is we made the right choice. Um, we're, we're lucky to have had an opportunity to, um, to have somebody like that internally in our organization. And, um, and I also would say that I never thought I'd be able to be a teacher. Um, and now I'm finding that um, it comes easy and, and it's fulfilling to be able to share ideas and then hear what, what comes back from Eric, because he obviously, um, his upbringing was different than mine as far as professional uh, services are concerned. And, and I love hearing his perspective on things. Yeah, I thanks for those comments, Mark. Um, I've, I've learned a, a bunch of things. One is that we have to give each other um, a lot of latitude on on the pace that we and empathy during the transition process. So just really identifying with with each other, I think it's it's a challenging time for both of us actually, maybe for different reasons. The other thing I learned that by going through this process, it's actually a bit of an opportunity to document and develop a transition process where you know 
Mark mentioned, you know, he was the likely and, and the logical successor to, to Bruce Beach. You know, me being the first non-founder, you know, CEO, um, we got to map out what the transition process looked like. And I think we can leave it behind for the the transition I'm going to go through in another, you know, 15 years down the road. Um, so there'll be a framework there for, for people to follow. And so, and I would also say just looking at all the things that we've been covering in this process, um, it helps you identify opportunities. I mean, Mark, think about all the opportunities that we've identified just for things that we can be doing. Helps us address uh, maybe some challenges. Um, so all in all, I just think it's it's a great process to kind of redefine and agree upon, you know, what we want to be. Um, and and that's that's always a good thing to go through. We're talking to Mark Fleischman and, and uh, Eric Myshak of Beach Fleischman PC. And the topic is, should we think outside the box for our next chief executive? Um, question I want to get to, I'm curious, is, is has anything about this process surprised you? Is, is there something that you thought this would be like going in and it turned out to be different than what you were expecting? Um, I guess I, I didn't have any um, preconceived notion of what this was going to look like um, going in. Um, I think maybe what surprised me um, the most was how easy it's going. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, change is hard always. Sometimes, it, you know, especially if it's change you don't want, it's brought upon you. I, I won't say that I don't want to to be able to move on to whatever life's going to look like post uh, being the CEO of Beach Fleischman, but it it wasn't something that I may have necessarily chosen to do, but it's the right thing to do. So here, I think that it's been um, really quite a pleasure to be able to experience this um, with Eric um, and the rest of our management team, which we pretty much run our organization as a team. Um, we have a leader, but but the but many decisions are made um, collaboratively um, and collectively. So. Um, I, I'm happy that it's that it's been so painless up till now. Yeah, I have this. I have to uh, agree with that. I, you know, knowing a lot of firms out there and uh, transitions that other firms have been through, doing a lot of reading, I know that these can be really trying times and they can be difficult transitions. And you know, maybe I had that in the back of my head that there's going to be much more friction than what there actually is. Um, and so I, I just think that would probably be the biggest surprise, but, um, it's been, it's been enjoyable. It's been a great learning, um, opportunity. And, um, and I think other people are excited too. So, um, you know, all in all, it, it's been a, it's been a great experience to go through this and, um, gosh, but the document, you know, kind of the process as we go along, I think is going to be helpful for, you know, a way that a future succeeding CEO can go through the process. So I'd like to offer an observation that um, I'd love your comment on, because one thing that, that this transition that you're doing is a pretty long one, I think, by most standards, right? It's not, it's not British Royal throne long, right? I mean, King, 
Prince Charles has been waiting about 50 years or so to become King Charles III of England. We don't know if he'll ever do that. So, but, but to, but to be sort of in the, in the wings for two and a half years when all is said and done, that's a, that's a long time to kind of wait and, 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 and kind of get that seat where you get to take the training wheels off and really, and really run the job that you're training for. And, and to me, it speaks to a certain level of, of humility. It speaks to a certain level of at least being able to subordinate your ego, if not outright, just not having a big one. And uh, I, I wonder if that's either explicitly or sort of backdoor implicitly part of the process as to why you, you have such a high level of confidence that this is going to work. Or if I'm just playing amateur psychologist and I should just shut up and never say things like that again. Well, I guess from my standpoint, um, you know, I think you got to check your ego at the door. And, and this, I think, goes through uh, being able to be, have a successful partnership or relationship within any professional services firm. Um, of my 45 years of, of observing um, law firms, accounting firms, architects and engineering firms, regardless of the leader, everybody thought they were a leader and everybody thought they were the most important person in, in the firm. And often that's what breaks them up. Um, that's what we try to avoid here as much as we always can um, to make sure that that your ego doesn't get in the way of decision making. And so um, although it, it probably has in my past and probably will again, maybe tomorrow, um, I try my best to, to not um, let that get in the way of anything we do here. Um, and I think that is you know, Eric, Eric is the one that's waiting in the wings. So his comment is probably much more relevant than mine. Um, yeah, I think definitely you have to be mindful of, of, you know, the trappings of, of ego. Um, it's not about me. It's not about Mark. It's about the future of the firm. And so we just have to find ways we have to find a way to work together, to collaborate, to put our firm in the best position moving forward. And you know what? A two-year a two-year transition is not going to work for every company, and it's certainly not going to work for every accounting firm. I, I've know I've seen transitions that were, you know, six months out, a year out. I don't know what the answer is, but for us, this seems to be working, and it's a way to do it. Guys, we're, uh, we're, we're running out of time, but uh, there's more, there's more ground that we can cover, uh, could cover than we realistically have time for. And I realize that I'm, I'm taking up not just one, but two chief executives time here effectively. If, uh, if people want to learn more about this topic, get your insight, ask a question I didn't have a chance to ask. Um, can they contact you to follow up? And if so, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, sure. I mean, I, Mark and I are both on, on LinkedIn. They can definitely search us there. Um, Beachfleischman.com has a contact us form. Um, you can request, you know, a, a conversation through that, through that form. Um, you can also message us on, on Twitter. We're at Beach Fleischman CPAs. Um, and on, we have a Facebook page. So, Really, there's there's many ways you can you can get a hold of us. Um, Mark, and I don't know if you want to add to that. I'm very old fashioned. I still use a phone. My direct dial number five two zero six one eight seven nine one eight. Call and leave a message if I don't pick up. 
That's that's so retro. People actually use smartphones to make and receive telephone calls. That's extraordinary. I know. I haven't learned not to do it. I, I'm 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 I think I'm tempted. To, I want to see if there's an app that will let me convert my my keypad to an old rotary dial phone, like a virtual <laughs> rotary dial, just to mess with my kids. Um, well, thanks, guys. That that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Mark Fleischman and Eric Myshak so much for joining us and sharing their expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Warren Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.